glad to be back tonight. And I'm glad you came. Parents, I can't tell you enough how great, it, how much it means to us that you're here, parents. And honestly, to see you run laps in the front of the auditorium. And, uh, you know, this is a Baptist church now, running laps in church and, and shouting and screaming and yelling and all that. It's just, I mean, filled with the spirit right there, I guess. You know, that's good. And a lot of hallelujah time. But I took some pictures. Can't wait to post them. <laughs> and uh, that, it was excellent. Thank you, parents. I know what I would be thinking if I were in your shoes. I'm thinking, why did I come? Why did I come to this service? And now I've got to play a game in front of everybody. And then in my, I know you said, it's not going to be anything gross. It's not going to involve food. The, we as preachers, we're used to lying when it comes. Youth pastors, we're professional liars. And I, I shouldn't say it that way. I will tell you anything just to get you up there to play a game. And uh, I told the teens about some games we played, and, and I, I, we won't play those in here, that's for sure. But uh, thank you for coming and putting on a smile, having a big old time. Honestly, I, I, I can tell you this, um, your kids uh, won't forget it. And uh, there's a whole lot of things that I look at as a, as a dad now different. I used to think I was a great youth pastor, and then I had my own teens. And then I thought, well, I don't know anything. And I don't need to be a youth pastor anymore because I'm blowing it. And, and then I was a youth pastor all the way through, both of my children all the way through. And, and, uh, and my daughters look back at it and they'll say this, Dad, you were the best. We enjoyed having you as a youth pastor. But there were times, honestly, Brother Jeremiah, I thought, man, I, I, I don't need to be. I need someone else who's, who knows what they're doing to do this stuff. Truth is, none of us know what we're doing. And uh, we're all learning on the job. And uh, you think you got one figured out and then you have a second child. And then you think you got that one figured out and you get another one. And then you're thinking, why'd I have any? And uh, you know the old, I can't remember who said it, an uh, old uh, uh, literature guy said, you know, if you got to you know, have a child and they turn 13, uh, put them, get a, get a uh, box, build a box, put the teenager in it, the 13-year-old in it, cut a hole in the top and feed them, get them water and that kind of stuff through it. When they turn 17, plug the hole. <laughs> Kids can be brutal. And uh, we had a good time today just looking at the Bible. And uh, what is God teaching us? Uh, I'm a parent. I want my children to do right. Uh, no child's perfect. Amen, parents? No child's perfect. By the way, teens, no parent's perfect either. Pa kids don't say amen too loud there. The truth is, no parent is perfect. We're all just learning. And uh, I I'm no professional at this. I'm just learning. But I want God to teach me, and I want to do better tomorrow than I did today. And that's why we're here. That's why the winter retreat, I love the Unite theme. Uh, our families are all splintered in so many different directions. And I know you're busy, and, and some of you, you've been working all day, and now you're here, and you're thinking, good, nap time. And uh, if you could nap, more power to you. I won't interrupt your nap. Oh, I'll interrupt it, but I won't call you out. And uh, if, you have to, if you doze off, you won't bother me a bit. And, uh, but I won't let you doze off too much. <laughs> but uh, we'll have a good old time tonight. I'll take your Bible and go to 2 Samuel. I enjoyed being around the teenagers. 2 Samuel chapter 7, so you can turn there. 2 Samuel chapter number 7. And uh, I enjoyed the games. I enjoyed watching them play games in, the, in the, the teen room, then also going over to the gym. I watched some brutality taking place. And, uh, and, and just animals playing games. And uh, they're playing floor hockey. That was pretty good. And uh, Brother Jeremiah, your daughter shot the winning goal for her team to win 
when, yeah, what, what else do you expect, right? That's just how you trained her. That's the way it goes. And, and uh, it, was, it was epic. And, and uh, seeing, seeing everyone participate and play, it was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to tonight and tomorrow. And I, I want to encourage your parents, if you come back tomorrow, I already know what I'm going to preach on tomorrow night. I, I believe unless God changes it, I'll even tell you what I, what I feel like God wants me to preach on. And, and a title, I guess, would be something about biblical response which I think the Bible ought to be involved with this, biblical response to conflict. How do you respond when things don't go your way? How do you respond when your child does wrong? I'll tell you what I do. I beat them. And uh, that's what my parents did. (laughs) Worked okay, I guess. The truth is, is how do we respond to that stuff? When things don't go the way we want it, when our child messes up, I preached a whole series, Brother, Brother Andrews, with, uh, I, I taught an adult class at my church for, oh, 12, 13 years, and, and I did a series in there on, on the, how, to, how to help the prodigal son, how to help the prodigal son's parents. Man, it hurts when a child goes astray. It hurts when you've raised them a certain way and they go a different direction. And it feels like it rips your heart out. And I went through a whole series of lessons just trying to encourage the parents of young people who've gone a different direction. And, uh, and it's real. And if you're here tonight and your children are right on board and they're doing right, praise God for it. But the truth is, is I've got a 25-year-old and a 22-year-old. They could change paths tomorrow. They go a different, the, the, the final chapter's not written. My final chapter is not written, and we're all just learning on the road as we do this. Second Samuel chapter seven, and uh, life in uh, life is is tough sometimes, isn't it? There's there we all are blessed. Every one of us are blessed. You you know finish this statement for me. You don't know how good you've got it until it's gone. Two of you know the statement. <laughs> you don't know how good you got it until it's gone. How much do we take for granted? By the way, parents, this is for us. How much do our kids take for granted what they have? I mean, we could get up and we could tell stories about the good old days, can't we? I'm, I'm almost 52, and, and I look back on life, and I think, I remember, I'm one of those people now. I remember when, you know, we walked to school in the snow, uphill both ways, barefoot. and You know, not that that ever happened. You, it's not, you're not walking uphill both ways anyway. And uh, but uh, I remember when the good old days. Can I tell you the good old days weren't all that good, but there was something sweet about it, wasn't there? There, there wasn't the TV or the the game systems that occupied all our time. We we as family, we just sat at the table and fought. That's what I mean. That was how we did it. And uh, we played a game called aggravation. Now, how dumb is that? Ag- aggravation. Come on, kids, let's sit down at the table. Let's play aggravation. Well, that, I'm the youngest in my family. I'm good at that game for sure. I can aggravate anybody. But I remember just getting together and just having some good old family time. And now the, the kids get older and they're playing this sport and they got this activity and, and school's got them here. And, and our families are just pulled apart. There is no unite taking place, which is why I absolutely love what's happening at Central Baptist right now. Let's pull it together. Uh, parents, it's good for you to hear what your kids are hearing. Amen. It's good for you. Honestly, the altar was packed today. And it's good for you to see your young people responding. It's good for you to see the conviction on the heart. It's good for you to see the tears come down their face. That's a sweet thing. But can I tell you, it's a good thing for them to see that from you too. Amen. A uniting, a blending together, a bringing things back. I, I remember as a kid, 
Uh, as a kid, I was 17 years old. I finally got my driver's license. My parents were smart. They didn't let me get it at 16. And uh, I got it finally at 17, and I got my first car. I worked a job and uh, got my first, got, saved up my money, and, and I visited my Uncle Larry in Illinois, and I bought my first car off of him. It was a 1972 Ford Torino. It was a sweet ride. In my mind, it was a muscle car. It really wasn't a muscle car, but it was, in my mind, it was. Man, I'd rev that thing, and it was blah, blah, blah. It didn't sound quite like that. It was more like blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and but I loved the car. It's Easter egg green. I mean, it was as ugly as sin. It was horrible. But I loved that car. Rubber floor mats. I mean, just that old, that old uh, uh, vinyl seat. And you'd turn a corner too fast and you'd slide all the way over on that bench seat. And you, well, you're supposed to be buckled, but, uh, but the seatbelt didn't even work. But they didn't care back in those days. And uh, I, I, it was just, it was a sweet ride. And, and, and I, I thought I had arrived. And I was spending a fortune in gas because every time I got up to stoplight, I was like, thinking I was tough. And I'd watch the gas gauge just go, every time I hit the gas pedal. uh, But it was my job to fill the tank. And and I thought, man, I've got it good. This is great. And then my car broke down. Not a fun time at all. And I didn't realize how good I had it, even spending a fortune on gas until I didn't have the car. We all could give examples of ways that it used to be so good, and we kind of took it for granted. Hey, parents, can I remind you God's blessed you with the children he gave you? You say, well, you don't live with them. (laughs) You're right. I made it a point, Brother Jeremiah, I'd walk down the hallway of our church as a youth pastor, and I would find a parent and I would, I would look at the parent as I was walking by, and, and I always wanted to get, greet them with something positive. Don't you hate it when the phone rings and it's the school principal, and you're thinking, oh, no, what did my kid do now? And, and every time I'd walk down the hallway, I'd look for those parents, and I'd find a parent, and I'd look at them, and I'd say, I just want you to know. And they're buckling their seatbelt already. Oh, no, what's coming next? And I would say, I just want you to know, your child is amazing. I thank God for your child. They're such a blessing. And, and I had multiple parents say this to me. What? You're talking about my child? No, you got the wrong parent right now. And, and they would go on and they'd say something like, that's because you don't live with them. And I don't. I, I don't live with your child. I don't know what they're like at home. And for some reason, we seem, teenagers, we seem to save our worst actions for the people who love us the most. And that's wrong. I'm just telling you, it's wrong. But yet sometimes we'll, we'll treat We'll treat a, a youth pastor, a, a, a teacher in school, we'll, we'll treat people around us better than we treat the people who went to death's door to provide us life. And it's wrong. We don't know how good we've got it until it's gone. Je, uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 7, I want you to see this passage of scripture. Talk about uniting, bringing our families together. But in order for that to happen, and, and tonight's not a harsh preaching message, it's really kind of an encouragement. Second Samuel chapter number seven, look if you would please start in verse number eight. David, David is the king. Uh, Nathan the prophet, the preacher, has a message from God to give to David the king. David has experienced some great things in life. He, he started as a shepherd boy, remember? And, and he was a nobody, and God put him into the kingdom, and God made him king. And, and, and David wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but God placed David as the king. And, and we get to 2 Samuel chapter number 7. 
Saul is now off the scene, David's king, and, and listen to the message that God gave David through Nathan the prophet, beginning in, in verse number eight, 2 Samuel 7, verse number eight. The Bible says this, now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, God speaking to Nathan, here's the message, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name, like in the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. I'm going to stop reading right there. I can keep going and and I will read more here in just a few moments. But can I tell you there's amazing, amazing principles that I see here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I believe this is important in the home. I believe this will change our homes if we'll take the principles we learned that God gave Nathan the prophet to give to David. And I learned from this passage of scripture, God told Nathan to tell David, number one, is this, David, remember where you came from. Look at the passage of scripture. God, God says to Nathan, he says, go tell David this, verse number eight, thus saith the Lord of the hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat. From following the sheep. Hey, David, David, I know you're the big bad king of Israel right now. David, I know you've been placed in leadership. And and David, I've blessed you and and I've provided for you. And David, I've done some great things in your life. But don't ever forget where you came from. You know what? I, I really believe this with all my heart. As a parent, if I would remember as a parent what I was like, we don't want to talk. We don't want. Hey, you don't sit down at the supper table and say, "Hey, kids, guess what I did when I was a kid." Listen to this. We don't tell. We don't air our dirty laundry to our children. We don't. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you how I cheated in school. We don't do that. The truth is, is if we would remember as parents what it was like when we were a young person, not just all the good things we did. But some of those times where we really just stumbled and skint our knees and we experienced, get this, the mercy and grace of God Almighty. If we just remember where we came from, do you know the truth of the matter is? The best person in this auditorium, I'm speaking to teenagers and adults, the godliest person in this auditorium, the greatest person in this auditorium, which would probably be a female, no doubt about that. Because we men, we're knuckleheads. But the best, the godliest person in this auditorium, guess what? You know what they are? A sinner. We're all sinners. We all deserve the judgment of God. The, the best one, and you know what God says about the greatest deeds we can do in our life? God says that our righteousness, the good things we do, they're nothing but filthy rags. They're garbage to God. Isn't this encouraging? I love to read after old J. Vernon McGee. Y'all know who I'm talking about, adults? You know who I'm talking about with J. Vernon McGee? He's an old Texan preacher. He's in heaven now. 
But you can still hear him on the radio. If you get the right channel, they'll still play his through the Bible radio broadcast. I love, I, he, he's really the only one I read after when it comes to preparing a message. I love to read just old shoe leather common sense. And I heard him say this on the radio, and, and then I got the commentaries out and started looking at the commentaries to see if, because really his radio is literally just transcribed into his, his commentaries. And, and, and he said this on the radio. I heard him say it. He said, folks, if you knew what kind of sinner I was, Jay Vermagee saying this, if you knew what kind of sinner I was, you wouldn't sit there and listen to me preach. Then he said, but wait a second. Before you get up and walk out, if I knew what kind of sinner you were, I wouldn't waste my time preaching to you. Can I tell you, I learned a lot. I love it when a preacher is honest about themselves. Hey, we haven't arrived. We, Brother Jeremiah, you haven't arrived. None of us have. Your wife was telling me about that earlier that you haven't. I'm just kidding. She didn't say anything. The truth is, none of us have arrived. We're, we struggle, Brother Matthews, honestly. It's a, being a parent, man, it's hard. It's hard to raise a kid. It's hard to do what's right. It's hard to, to respond properly when things don't go the way they It's hard. It's hard in this thing we call the Christian life. Nothing easy about it. That's why it's important for us to remember where we came from. Here's David. He's the king of God's chosen people. And God looks at David and says, hey, David, don't get too big for your britches. You haven't arrived, David. You're not all that in a bowl of cherries, David. Hey, I can put you down real quick. God looks at David and says, David, you used to be. Hey, David didn't even qualify even to be looked at by Samuel the prophet when God sent him. Do you remember the story? Samuel goes up to anoint the second king. Get this. Samuel goes to anoint the second king. And, and Jesse, David's dad, gets all of his boys together. Eliab, the oldest, the biggest, the baddest, the know-it-all older brother. Thinks, I'm sorry, I got to get off the older brother, younger. I got I to quit that. I'm the youngest. I got picked on, so I like to pick on the older. Eliab's already, you know, he probably did like 25 push-ups before Samuel came in to make his muscles all swole. And, and in comes Samuel the prophet. Jesse stands up and says, there he is. Here is the next king of Israel. And Samuel looks at Eliab, David's oldest brother, and says, nah, not him. And I'm like, yes. And Shema, Shema or what, I can't pronounce his name right, he's the second born, and he comes walking out. And, and I'm sure Jesse's like, okay, if it wasn't Eliab, no doubt about it, it's number two. And here he comes walking in. Jesse said, nah, not that guy either. Here comes in the third brother and the fourth brother. And finally, they get through all the brothers. And Jesse, excuse me, Samuel looks at Jesse, the dad, and says, Yo, uh, uh, Pops, are these all your kids? You've got to have at least one more. And you remember the response that Jesse gave? He said, by the way, I'm just saying it how I think maybe he said it. I know the words he used, but I think this is how he said it. He said, yeah. There's one more, but he's, he's a nobody. He's out watching the sheep. Do you remember Samuel said to Jesse, hey, we won't even sit down until you bring the other boy in here. I'm not going to rest. Get him in here. I want to see him. And in comes David. He probably smelled like sheep. 
He probably had wool on his, he's covered in mud. He came in with those old Jerusalem cruiser sandals, took those off at the door and probably had some mess on his feet too. I'm just telling you, he probably wasn't all clean. And he comes walking in and Samuel said, "Woo! there he is. Hey, can I tell you, David was a nobody. His dad thought he was a nobody. His brothers thought, you remember he went off to battle? First Samuel chapter 16. Jesse says, go check on your brothers. They're in battle. They get to 17. And who's out there uh, defeating the giant? It's David. He didn't even qualify to go to the war. He was a nobody. And in this passage of scripture, God tells Nathan, go talk to the king and remind him, he's not all that. David, remember where you came from. Remember you struggled too. David, you may be the king. Hey, parents, you may be a parent and praise God for it. But don't ever forget where you came from. We all are sinners. We all struggle. Any good thing about Kirk Copeland has nothing to do with Kirk Copeland. It has to do with two people, God and Christy Copeland. And she works really, really hard to try and help me. Truth is, is we're all a bunch of nobodies. I love this passage. God looks at David and says, David, don't, number one, remember where you came from. Don't ever forget who you are. He says number two in this passage of scripture. Number one, remember. Number two, he says, rehearse. Rehearse. Rehearse the blessings of God. Look, if you would, please, verse number nine. He says at the end of verse number eight, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Verse nine, and I was with thee whithersoever thou winnest. And listen to what God says. Hey, hey, David, I've been good to you. He says, I was with you whithersoever you went. I have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name like in the name of the great men that are in the earth. You know what God says to David? God looks at David. He says, hey, David, I've been good to you. Why don't you rehearse the blessings of God in your life? Why don't you stop and say, God, you've been so good in my life. God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be standing here tonight. I don't deserve to live for you. But God, you've been good to me. Man, he's been good in my life. I've been blessed beyond all measure. God has been good. Wish I could sing. I'd start singing it. But if I did, you'd get up and walk out. So I'm not going to start singing it. God's been good, hasn't he? John Bishop, one of my heroes, Brother Bishop. I don't know if you've ever met John Bishop. He's a preacher. He's in his 70s now. About 25 years ago, he contracted aseptic bacterial meningitis. He was a fireball of a preacher. Director of Triple S Christian Ranch in Rosebud, Arkansas. Just a young man, vibrant, powerful preacher. I mean, one of those preachers that he'd preach, he'd part your hair right down the middle. I mean, he'd just rip face. And uh, he'd let you have it real quick. And, and he got this aseptic bacterial meningitis. He lost all of his memory. He lost all of his uh, functions, all of his body. He, he didn't know how to walk. He didn't remember who anyone was. He woke up out of it after he went through all this process. of, of re- And he looked over and there was a lady sitting at his bedside 
Miss Donna, his wife, he had no idea who she was. He didn't know how to talk. He didn't know how to, he didn't know how to walk. He had to learn all this stuff over again. And his wife, he calls her my Donna because when she, when she introduced him, herself to him, she said, I am your Donna. I belong to you. I'm your Donna. He said, you're my Donna? My Donna? And he still to this day calls her my Donna. He, God gave him back some of his ability. He, he learned how to walk again. He, he, he got all of his, he, he listened to his preaching tapes, how, how he used to preach. He said, I don't like how I, I don't like me. I was too mean. And, uh, and he, he, he became a, uh, got back into preaching again. God gave him back some ability. And he was known, his, his ministry was called this, God is so good ministry. Hey, can I tell you, God's been good to all of us. Hey, parents, do you remember when you held that baby in your arm for the first time, I know they're a knucklehead teenager now, but do you remember when you held them in your arm for the first time? I, I remember when Angel, my oldest, was born. We were in the hospital. I was looking forward, just let me reminisce for a second. I'll be done here in a few moments. I, I was looking forward to, you know, as a dad, having that emergency drive to the hospital, you know, like, Put the, the, put the car in drive and you're 90 miles an hour across town. Flashers going, honking the horn, get out of my way. You know, speeding past the police officer waving. Yeah, get the speed legal. I was looking forward to that. No. My wife, she got induced into labor. I mean, we had to go to the, we had like a six o'clock in the morning appointment. My wife's like, okay, oh, let's go have a baby. And then no contractions, none of that stuff. And so on the way there, six o'clock in the morning, I said, uh-uh. I'm speeding. I put the hazards on. I'm flying down the road. I thought, go ahead, pull me over. I, I got a pregnant wife here. Get ready. No one pulled me over. It was, it, was, it was lost. I mean, no thrill in it at all. We get to the hospital. We go in. They hook her up with all these machines. And I've got ADHD. I've never been diagnosed, but I know I've got it. And, and, and we're in there in the hospital. I'm playing with every gadget and toy there is in the hospital room. All these machines that are beeping and buzzing and all that. I'm over there playing with them. I, I'll squeeze a hose to see if it changes anything. Nothing. The paper that's going. I'm, I'm, I'm just playing. I'm having a nurse is coming in and said, sir, sir, you can't touch it. I said, oh, no, I'm paying a big bill here. I'm touching. I'm doing it. I'm do and bring me a popsicle next time you come in too, please. You're not the patient. Oh, I'm the patient, all right. And uh, I'm being very patient right now. Bring me a popsicle. And I just having a big old time. I was laughing, having a good old time. And, and, and my wife, she starts having these contractions. You know, she was induced, and so these contractions are starting to come. And I'm, I, teens, you can ignore this for a minute. And I, I, I am, I'm like having a big old time. Like I'm playing. Like my wife's like, oh, I, I feel the. I'm like, I don't feel anything. You know, and she said, I'm gonna slap you. I'm gonna. That's okay. It's, I'm just having a good old time. And. And uh, we're waiting, and, and, and the contractions get more frequent, and the machines are going off, and the little graphs going. I'm, having, I'm just like, oh, no, no. And, and then here comes in a nurse, and, and she said, I'm going to go get the doctor. I said, that's okay. I can take care of this. You know, they're like, no, you're not taking care of anything. We're going to kick you out of here. And finally, the doctor comes in. My wife's doctor, her name is Elizabeth LaRoche, and she's, she's like five foot four. She's a little old small, probably like 75 pounds. A little old small lady, but man, she had lungs. And she came in, she said, Christy! I mean, like, whoa, <laughs> what's wrong? Are you ready to have a baby? And my wife's like, oh yeah, I'm ready. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready too, let's do this. Give me the catcher's glove, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. 
And, and my, the doctor comes in, and she says, get out of the way, Copeland, get out of the way. And I, I get out of the way, and I'm like standing off the side. Now I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. If you were in the delivery room, you get a little ner- excited but nervous. And I remember Dr. LaRoche right there with my wife. She said, ah, another contraction's coming. Are you ready? Chrissy, you're going to start pushing. She said, are you ready to count? And she's loud. She said, are you going to count with me? My wife's like, uh-huh. She said, while we're counting, you're going to push. And Dr. LaRoche was like, here it comes. And she could see it on the graph. Here it comes. Here it comes. All right, it's ready. One. And she started counting like that loud. One, two. We're in this room. And I'm like, we can hear you. You don't have to yell. And she looked at me and she said, Kurt, you're not counting. I'm like, one, two. I'm nervous now. I've gotten quiet. She said, I can't hear you. I'm like, two, three. She said, I can't hear Four. I'm like screaming with her now. Five. And we got to 10 and we stopped. She said, here comes the contraction again. Here we go. You ready? One, two. And she's like screaming. And I'm like, what? I'm screaming with her. I'm starting to cry. I'm scared to death. And sure enough, she said, Christy, push. And there came my baby angel. I remember I'm crying. Parents, do you remember? I'm crying. My wife's crying. My, my baby daughter, Angel, she's crying. <laughs> she's like, oh no, what am I in for now? Her little chin was just quivering. I looked over. I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, my, my, wife was, my wife's not here. She can't tell me no. I looked over and I saw that baby. And I saw that umbilical cord. And I, I looked at her and I said, she's not even human. That's not my child. People who say babies are beautiful, they're lying. I'm just kidding. They really are. They're precious. But not then they're not. And I looked, the doctor said, Kurt, you want to cut the cord? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. She gave me these scissors and I'm cutting through that umbilical cord. Man, I remember holding my child in my arms for the first time. I remember the tears. I remember the overwhelming feeling of responsibility and thinking, how in the world am I going to provide? How am I going to put up with the drama? Girls are, girls? Man, God's been good. Hey, parents, God's been good. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we look at all the problems instead of the good things God's doing. If we're not careful, we get caught up with saying, well, you got to be on this report card. Well, they didn't get an F. Sometimes our expectations are way up here. And by the way, I'm not, saying, I'm not preaching against parents. I'm a parent. I'm telling you some of the things that I struggled with. In this passage of scripture, David is told by God, hey, hey, David, don't forget where you came from. And while you're going along in this path called life, why don't you rehearse the blessings of God along the way? Hey, I challenge you, parents, why don't you write down a praise list about your kids? While we're at it, kids, why don't you write down a praise list about your parents. 
I'm not talking about, I thank God for the new bike, but I didn't get the PlayStation 27. And God, I, I didn't win the TV. Ugh. But God, thank you that my parents came anyway. No, why don't we start bragging on mom and dad, teenager? You know your friend's mom and dad that you think so cool and they don't ever jump your friend's case? You know, like your kids, your friends are like spoiled rotten. They got the latest iPhone, the latest game system. They got, hey, hold on, look at me, look at me. They're not as spoiled as you think. Well, maybe they are, but they're not, they're, honestly, that, that, that home's not perfect either. Parents, you ever, you ever looked across the aisle and you saw that other family that's at church? Now, don't look at me that way. Yeah, you have. You know, you see that other family and their kids are, you know, they're like angelic. They walk into church and all their kids walk in single file and they're all carrying their Bible and they're, they're all dressed like matching outfits and they all come in and they sit down and their hands are folded on their lap and you look over at your kids and they've got pocket knives out carving in the back of the seat in front of them and you're like, nah, what am I doing wrong? Hey, can I tell you, their family's not perfect either. Let me say it one more time. Their family's not perfect either. You know what God says about that? God said, sorry to get the Bible in on this. You know what the Bible says? That when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, we're not wise. You know what the opposite of wise is? Foolish. Amen. When I look at someone else's family and say, man, I wish my kids were like their kids, I'm a fool. Because I'm not in the home with them. I don't see what goes on behind closed doors. By the way, you weren't in the car with that family before they pulled in the parking lot when the parents were saying, kids! If you step out of line, I'm going to kill you. Don't you embarrass us. My dad used to say this. He used to say to me, Kurt, he'd say to all of us boys, my brothers all have girls' names, but he'd say to all of us, he'd say, boys, remember you're a Copeland, and you better act like it. And I remember I'd look at my dad, and I'd go, okay, dad. He smacked me. He said, no, I'm not talking. I would say, dad, you said act like a Copeland. That's how we act. So no, don't act. act like you're supposed to act. Okay. <laughs> my dad, you know what my dad was telling me? He threatened me with an inch of my life. You better act right. You know what he's saying? Don't embarrass me. You don't know what took place in the car before people got in the church. You don't know what's happening behind closed doors at a house. So stop comparing with that other family. They're not all that. They struggle too. We all do. Well, pastor's got the perfect home. I'm going to move along. <laughs> Brother Matthews, your boys are just so polite, and I'll bet you never even had to spank them. <laughs> we all struggle. We all struggle. Can I, can I be very honest? I, I, my time's up. <laughs> Not that I haven't been very honest up to this point. But can I be honest? My daughter was 16, 17 years old. I won't tell you which one of them. Doesn't matter. You don't really know them anyway. But one of them at 17 years old, I, I'm a youth pastor. I have a youth ministry of 250 kids. I only have two kids of my own. And they were killing me. One of my daughters at 17, pastor, I, 
I was so frustrated. I walked into the living room of our house to the the coat closet. I opened the coat closet where we kept some suitcases. I grabbed a suitcase out of my house, out of that closet. And I walked to my daughter's bedroom. I put the suitcase on the floor in my daughter's bedroom. And I said, pack some clothes and get out of my house. I'm a youth pastor. I'm telling other parents how they're supposed to raise their kids. And I look at my own daughter and say, pack your stuff and get out. I I literally, Brother Matthews, after I set that suitcase down, I turned around and I walked out of her room. And I didn't let her see this, but I was crying. My wife's standing there. My wife's crying. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm crying. I begged God as I was walking out of her room, God, help her not to pack. God, help her not, help her just to change. Walked into the bedroom. My wife and I together got on our knees, literally crying and saying, oh, dear God, please get the heart of my child. A few moments later, there was a knock on the door. My 17-year-old daughter came to the door crying. She opened the door and she said, Dad, are you serious? Daddy, I don't want to leave. Dad, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you no home's perfect. My pastor, when I was growing up, his name was Bob Kelly. Bob Kelly had three daughters. I remember hearing him say this from the pulpit. He said, the greatest joy you ever get as a, as a human being, you get from your own children. And the very next sentence he said was this, the greatest hurt you ever get as a human being is from your own children. And I remember thinking, well, that's rude. <laughs> but it's true. How can the same person who brings you so much joy bring you so much hurt at the same? How does that happen? Because we're sinners. And parents, can I remind you? We were that teenager at one point too. Number one, remember where you came from. Number two, rehearse the blessings of God. Number three, and lastly, the Bible says in verse number 10, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. Do you hear what God tells David? God tells David, number one, remember where you came from. Number two, rehearse the blessings of God. And number three, realize your best future is just walking with God. Why does Central have this winter retreat at the church instead of going off to a camp so that parents can be here? Here's why. Because our best future as a church family is to walk together with God. It's to come together and unite together as a family. We're together serving God. Hey, together we're going to watch what's right. Together we're going to listen to what's right. Together we're going to worship God. Together we're going to be at church. Together we're going to serve God as a family. Together. United. Rather than, hey, kids, or Brother Matthews, fix my kids. He can't fix them. 
Oh, pastor, fix my family. We don't know what. He can't fix them. Bring in a guest speaker so he can fix our. I can't fix them. Man, I'm having a hard time with my own. We're all struggling. We're all learning. What's the recipe? Together as a family, we serve God. Can, can I tell you? I remember, and, and I'm done. My, I'm two minutes over from what I wanted to You didn't give me a time, but I wanted to be done at eight. So if, you're, if you need to go, you can go. But let me finish with this story. None of you have been sleeping, by the way. Thank you. I'm so, some, I, I thought some of you would be praying for me like... But you've, you've, done, you've done well. Thank you. I, I remember when my kids were younger, my wife came to me. and I, I've got the godliest wife in the world. She's amazing. And she came to me. She said, Kurt, and I hate to admit this publicly, but she said, can we have family devotions together? And I said, what? I'm the preacher. And she said, can we just sit down together as a family and have devotions together? I, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But I said, uh, well, you know, I'm already having my own devotions, and you're having your devotions. That's good enough. I literally said that. I'm the preacher. And I told my wife, no. Not like, no, woman. I didn't do that. I, I value my life. I didn't say that. <laughs> I just said no. My wife, and I thank God for this, my wife started every morning We'd have breakfast together before we went to school. We took the girls to school. and I would go as a youth pastor to the church. My office was there. I would drive them to school. My wife got all the kids, all, all the kids, both kids together at the table. And at breakfast, she got out a little kid's devotion book. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. While I was in the bedroom getting ready to go be a preacher, my wife was at the table leading my daughters in family devotions. She said, hey, hey honey, would you, would you like to join us? I, I, I will when I'm done, when I'm getting ready. I, I'm getting ready right now. I will when I'm done. And I'd time it to where I had to leave. I, and I'm the preacher. She, she just kept doing it, being faithful. She wasn't doing it to embarrass me. She wasn't doing it to make me feel like I was inadequate. She was doing it for the sake of my daughters. And God was convicting me. I wasn't raised in a church-going family. She was. I had never had family devotions in my life. And to be totally honest with you, I didn't know how. And I was intimidated. I was scared. I remember one, one day getting up and going in there and sitting down at the table. And my wife said, oh, you want to join us for devotions? I said, sure, go ahead, do what you're doing. And I sat there quiet as my wife led in family devotions. You know what I was doing? I was learning. I was listening to my wife lead in family devotions. And then the next day I was there again and she did. And then she said, hey, hey, Kurt, would you, you can read the passage of scripture. And then I'll, I'll we just got a children's devotional book. And she said, you read the passage of scripture and I'll read the story in the book. It wasn't three points in a poem and a long illustration. It was simply about three minutes together as a family. 
My wife would, I'd read the scripture and then my, my wife would read the story and then we'd pray together. And, and then we took, we, we got to where we saved letters we got, cards we got, Christmas cards, or, or we'd go to church and there'd be a missionary there, we'd get their prayer card and we got a prayer basket. I, again, I'm, this isn't me, this is my wife. And she said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start praying and every day everyone pulls out a different card out of the basket. And every one of us around the table prayed. My daughters at five, six, seven years old, they started praying for missionaries or, or people who sent us a card or whatever. And, and we would, prayer time around the table, my wife would lead the devotion, I'd read the Bible passage, she'd do the devotion book. And, and then every one of us would pray together. It, it was five minutes long. Can I tell you, it changed our home because there was a time together as a family where we opened the Bible together. Hey, dads, can I caution you? It's, it's not a sermon time. Well, bless God, kids, turn or burn. You better get right. That, that, that wasn't what it was for. It was a time to just look at God's word as a family together. We used a devotion book all the way through even their teen years. We did it age appropriate, but it was a family time together. David, in this passage of scripture, can I tell you, you know what I learned? David says, you know what, your future's better when you walk with God. Not just being in church, but walking with God. What is the greatest way we as parents can reach the heart of these kids? Kids, ignore me for a minute. I'm not here. Just la, 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 la. Go ahead. Parents, what's the best way we can reach them? By us living it ourselves. So I'm not having those family devotion things like that. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not in on that. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you, God says in his passage of scripture here, our best future is walking with him. I love my children enough. I want to walk with him. As time went on, I started leading those devotions. And God grew me. And I'm thankful for a wife who didn't nag me. What? You loser! Why aren't you having... She didn't do that. She lovingly led the children until I grew. Started doing it myself. I'm so thankful. Hey, tonight, can you remember where you came from? Rehearse the blessings of God in your life and realize your best future is walking with God as a family together. I'm going to pray. Brother Matthews, after I pray, I'm just going to turn the service over to you. I don't know if you want to do an invitation. I'm just going to pray and be done. After I pray, I'll step out of the way. I know that's awkward for you. I probably should do something, but I'm going to leave it on your shoulders. Parents, can I encourage you? As you walk out these doors, God help my home. God help my home. This man can't fix your home. This lady can't fix you. She has a better chance than he does, but they can't fix your home. This guy can't fix your home. His wife can't fix your home. Only God can fix the home. That's why we've got to walk with him. None of us have arrived. God's been good to us. Let's walk with him. Lord, I thank you for your love.